This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Welcome, Baseball Outside the Box. Hope you're all doing well. I'm your host, Pete Caliendo. We are back. Yes, we are back. I know we haven't been back quite a bit. We've only had like a, an episode a week. We're used to doing four or five a week, and we're excited about getting going again. And we needed that little break. It was important. I think everybody needs that break. Um, we took a little trip to Italy, beautiful country. Brought one of our sports team, our softball teams there, competed against Italian teams there, and it was a fantastic trip. Remember, if you want to ever travel with your team or if you're a coach, player, want to join us, Caliendo Sports International, email me at petercaliendo at att.net, um, and I'll get you all the information. Experience international baseball at its best. And let me tell you, you can go to Cuba, Dominican Republic, Italy, Japan, you name it, anywhere in the world, New Zealand, Australia, we will take you everywhere and you will have a great experience. Also, don't forget, thanks to everybody in 100 countries, all the coaches and parents and players are listening to the show. You guys are fantastic. And thanks for everybody in the U.S. If it wasn't for all of you, this show would not be able to continue. And I really appreciate it. Don't forget, email me anytime. Let me know about any guests you want us to have on the show because we're always interested in hearing what you have to say. And don't forget, go to Peter Caliendo Facebook. It's live right now. YouTube live, Peter Caliendo. And thank you, ESPN Honolulu, for covering us every day. We appreciate it. You can get the audio there and you can get the audio on baseballoutsidethebox.com. Not to mention, please subscribe to the podcast because that really helps us get you know get the show out so folks hey we're ready to rock and roll today this is another topic that we talked about before but it's great to get different perspectives from different experts there's always something great to learn so i'm going to welcome here in a second max wardell max is the medical throwing director for the overhead athletic institute athlete institute um what's neat about max that he pitched collegiately he has his doctorate in physical therapy at Oakland University. Um, again, I mentioned he's the medical throwing director. We'll talk about that because we're going to talk about throwing and pitching both because there's so many injuries. Um, he's a certified strength and conditioning specialist uh, through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. He's got a lot more. He's got all these special letters behind him, you know, which sometimes I don't understand what they are. But I do know this. He had me on his show. This guy's as bright as they come. I really enjoyed being on the show now i get to ask him the question well let me welcome max wardell that's what's up buddy how you doing man hey thank you thank you for having me on the podcast uh hopefully i can live up to that uh awesome introduction there well i'll tell you what it, it was a lot of fun being on your show i really enjoyed it and you know it's always interesting when you're on with, with somebody when it's somebody's expertise um you know it's kind of cool to, to be able to now have you on the show and talk about a topic here. And, you know, we're, we're going to get started with this topic. And I'm going to start off with this question because, you know, we continue to hear, Max, you know, and, and, and look, I want to be positive also. But we continue to hear about injuries at the younger levels, at the older levels, at the, you know, yeah, Major League Baseball. Um, I think we all understand these injuries occur at the real young ages. And I think this is where your program comes in. And it's so important. Um, and I think, and, and tell me two things. One, 
their current young ages, and two, we really don't have all the answers, do we? We certainly do not. Um, actually, this past weekend, I was at the Michigan Orthopedic Society um, research meeting, which was on Mackinac Island here in Michigan. It was, it was really awesome. Um, and we got to hear from a lot of different surgeons and kind of communicate with uh, surgeons and physicians that work in multiple disciplines. And we really got to talk about throwing injuries with some of these doctors who are in Henry Ford Health System here. And we've worked with some of their um, peers and things like that. And it's really rather interesting how many athletes are coming into the physician's office with these um, wear and tear type of injuries, but also startup injuries, which we don't always talk about. And really we can categorize injuries into overuse, misuse, or startup injuries. If we really want to be simple about it and startup injuries are generally injuries that occur when, when people aren't really trained or ready for this season. So if we look at MLB statistics, we'll see that there's a huge spike in injuries right at the beginning of the season through spring training. And those are all injuries that may be able to be prevented with proper training in the preseason and the off season, getting athletes ready for that workload that they're going to have to endure through the beginning of the season. That's the same trend we see in high school and collegiate and even younger ages. But then we also see these injuries that are kind of repetitive injuries in nature where the athletes are just going out there and they're doing something that's overloading certain tissues or, or certain muscles or certain ligaments. And then they're continuing to load in that pattern over and over and over again. And eventually that leads to breakdown. So we're seeing guys that are coming in, having elbow surgery at a really young age, especially these growth plate related injuries. And then also even some ligamentous injuries. And a lot of the surgeons that we talk to are really hesitant and cautious in doing um, ligament reconstruction in young athletes, but at times it happens. And um, it's something we're starting to see more and more. So getting out in front of this wave with proper training in the off season is big, especially in that preseason phase. And we talk about going into different sports and kind of differentiating our athletic profile, if you will, where athletes are going to go into play basketball, play football, and then play baseball. But what's also important is if you're going to do that, it's not just, hey, I go from one sport right into the next. I have to have a time where I'm building up. If I go right from basketball season and now I'm in tryouts for baseball and we all know how um, notorious indoor tryouts are for, for throwing load, we're going to go in and we're going to end up with these startup injuries, these growth plate injuries with these tendon strains and uh, ligamentous sprains that could really be avoided. So it's, it's not always just about playing multiple sports or having off time. It's also about getting your body ready for that, that uh, training or that, that workload that you're about to assume. You know, and that's a great point because um, as we talk about the injuries starting when you're young, so let's talk about these young players, you know, you got little league uh, that have certain rules with pitching, um, but talk to our coaches because you mentioned, you know, off season, preseason, you know, then there's postseason. Um, let's take it one step at a time. Let's start off with, you know, you got young kids um, and they come out, you know, they're going to, and I know we've got several systems. It could be an in-house league, you know, which only plays maybe 20 games a year, maybe has four or five practices, or it could be your travel teams that have a lot more than that, maybe play 50, 60 games at say 10 years old um, and also practice all year round. Talk to those coaches about some of the critical areas that they need to be working on um, to make sure that 
players one are safe and then have a better chance of reducing injuries in the future? Where do they start? I think the most over, I don't know what I, I don't want to say completely overlooked because people know about it, but something that's neglected in programming for athletes is really what we'd call arm care exercises or rotator cuff training exercises. And the reason I say it's overlooked or neglected is because although a lot of people know about it, not a lot of people are doing it. And the times that I see it done, it's rarely done properly. And that's why I've put so much time into doing YouTube videos and putting up content on the website and things like that. It's just to show sometimes how specific you need to be with exercises because we know that young athletes are the masters of compensation. They will do anything they can to try to successfully complete an exercise. And they're doing five pounds when they sometimes should just be doing one pound with a little bit better technique. So I would say arm care exercises are really important. And that's rotator cuff strengthening the four muscles there in the shoulder. That's all the muscles that surround the shoulder blade. That's muscles that cross the elbow. Those are the muscles that are going to allow you to better tolerate throwing over the course of the season. We've, looked at various literature out there, various studies out there. And we find that over the course of the season, the average baseball player is going to lose about 15, 20% of the rotator cuff strength, just as a result of cumulative throwing, they're mm -hmm. throwing a lot. The rotator cuff gets overused and it doesn't have enough time. A lot of times to recover properly. So they're going to lose strength over the course of the season. What we see with guys is they're coming into physical therapy or they're coming in after a surgical procedure and they're coming in with huge deficits in rotator cuff strength compared to their glove side. You shouldn't have a weaker throwing arm than your glove arm. A lot of times what they've done is they've gone through the course of the season. They accumulate all this throwing, they lose a bit of strength just as a result of that cumulative workload. And now they come into the next season and they never uh, worked on that rotator cuff strength. And now they're going in with a deficit and they lose more rotator cuff strength. They lose more shoulder stability, and then they sustain an injury. And that's really what we want to start to prevent. We've done a lot of things in terms of looking at how guys are throwing in terms of their throwing workload, in terms of the number of throws and an outing and that's all great. And we have a lot of great numbers. USA baseball has them little league. Like you were saying, Pete has, has numbers, uh, Michigan high school, um, athletic association here in Michigan has, uh, recommendations. We have to consider a few things with those recommendations. They're not a, they're not just a very specific number for every athlete. They're more of a generalized number that we have to keep in mind. If an athlete is throwing, say, a hundred pitches, but he throws with terrible mechanics that actually drags his arm through some bad positions in the throw. And we have another athlete who's thrown with really good mechanics and he throws the same number of pitches in a week. That's going to be totally different workloads on specific structures that are often injured in the throwing athlete. So we need to take those pitch recommendations and look at the athletes that we have on our team and how well they're throwing and then how well they're recovering. It's, it's really simple to say, hey, how are we feeling today? And really try to get uh, an interpretation of whether that athlete's being honest with us and how they're feeling on that particular day or not. But also understand these athletes who maybe haven't thrown as much um, in the off season or haven't thrown as much during the season and they're going to go out there. They can't be held with the same pitch count recommendation that the athlete who has better mechanics, who has been trained to throw it at a, a higher number of uh, throws or an increased workload is going to be able to sustain. So we just got to take our recommendations 
um, sometimes with a grain of salt, but sometimes with um, some more details on, on that particular athlete that we're going to be applying those recommendations for. And then consider that, you know, throwing one way is not going to be the same amount of stress as throwing another way. If you think of somebody who's squatting and their knees are completely caving in, everyone will look at that and say, whoa, that's not good for your knees. But if I did a hundred squats like that versus a hundred squats with really good technique, the, uh, the tissue damage. And in the end, how many reps of that I'm going to be able to sustain and, and endure is completely different. We need to look at throwing the same way. If, if we have that guy squatting with terrible technique and his knees are caving in and you know, he's arching and collapsing through his back. We need to take that case the same way that we're going to take that case of the guy who has maybe not so great throwing mechanics. We need to work on the mechanics of the throw so that he can withstand more throws, but also understand I'm not going to let him go out there and throw 75, hundred pitches with those, those mechanics. I may let him go out there and throw an inning, two innings, see how he recovers and, and kind of build from there. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we got a lot, a lot to unpack there because I think this is some great stuff. Before we do, Max, do me a favor. Give everybody the YouTube channel. I want them to go there and watch the videos along with the website. Yeah, so our website is overheadathletics.com, um, and the YouTube is Overhead Athletics. We try to put up at least two videos a week. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's three, but we, we try to really aim for two videos a week, and we put our podcasts up on there as well. So like Pete was saying in the beginning, we recorded a podcast a uh, little while back, and that'd be up there on the, the channel as well as, as well as the other uh, podcasting platforms. And that's in the name of Overhead Athletics is the podcast. Yeah, and folks, we're going to put all that on the show notes also. So it'll be all over our show notes at all the different uh, avenues to show, to actually see all that and also listen to it. Uh, you know, Max, and as you're talking, you know, the thing that I keep going back to, and I've been going back to this for a lot of years, uh, talking about it and trying to help people best I can with my expertise, whatever that may be. And that is, you know, I think we need to also take a step back because you mentioned throwing. Um, you know, I walk around our neighborhood a lot and watch, you know, volunteer coaches and God bless what they do there. Without them, we wouldn't have youth programs. But it's important to educate the volunteer coach, the mom and dad that's just trying to help out, make sure that kids got a chance to play somewhere, have some fun. But at the same time, you know, here we are, we're talking about um, it all can start, you know, when you talk about a workload for pitching, makes so much sense that everybody should have a different workload because of different bodies, mechanics, all the things you're talking about. But now we're also talking about, you know, I walk around and kids can't play catch. Um, they're having trouble playing catch because coaches don't focus enough on playing catch and throwing. Um, you know, how important, it, you know, how early? I mean, we, don't we have to get these young kids, if they're going to play catch, do it right, throw properly. So that way, when they do go into pitching, because they may not pitch till nine or 10 years old, at least they got a better chance of reducing some injuries in the future. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times we take athletes who are just like we talked about in the beginning, not prepared for a certain task. And then we're asking them to do it at a, at a high level. So getting kids out there, getting kids to throw properly from a young age is really important. And a lot of times what you'll find is that young kids will start to move into some pretty efficient throwing mechanics naturally. Now I know a lot of people are out there saying we should never have kids do throwing drills or pitching drills because you're going to disrupt their blah, blah, blah. And I think there is a little bit of truth to that in a way, but I'm not going to go out there and say kids shouldn't be doing throwing drills or pitching drills. They absolutely should. We just need to kind of avoid the ones that are 
that are, um, I guess, more well known to disrupt some some good mechanics and movement. And we have to understand that if we're going to work on changing throwing mechanics, we have to have a few ideas in mind of what we're actually looking to achieve. Because a lot of times we'll see that people are applying different drills or, or um, different interventions, but they're just applying them to everybody that they work with. Hey, everybody is going to go home and do 500 reps of this, 500 reps of this. That's fine if we know that, hey, this thing doesn't, this drill that we're doing doesn't have a um, a high likelihood of, of causing something different than our intended goal. And what, what I kind of mean by that is if I give 50 people a certain task to do, and then I'm going to say, that's going to work good for 20 of these people, 20 of these people are going to get worse and 10 won't have any change. That's probably not something I should give out to all my. Yeah, Max, there we go. Back. Go ahead. We're go ahead. back. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. I guess I lost connection here with my mic, but if I'm going to give out a drill, that's going to really result in maybe half the people doing the drill improperly or, or half the people are going to get worse while half the people get better. That's not something I can do or should do at a large scale. If I have throwing drills or interventions that I'm going to apply and say, Hey, um, you know, I think 90% of the guys are, are going to improve from this and maybe 10% are going to stay about the same. That's probably fine to scale out to my team. So we got we to gotta look at those things like that. And I think a big component of it is we have a lot of people teaching skills in baseball that are just teaching them the way that they were taught as a youngster mm -hmm. without any sort of, um, I guess, instruction from other coaches or without any investigation on their part, people that listen to this podcast uh, are actually an anomaly in, in my respect, because they're out there seeking more knowledge to actually get better at their craft. Whereas what you'll see a lot of times, and what I see a lot of times is athletes who have come in and they're getting taught the same way that their coaches got taught, which was the same way that their coaches got taught mm -hmm. years and years and years ago. And they haven't moved with some of the science and some of the things that we've learned in some of these studies. So, you know, in terms of drills and things that, that people should avoid, I think we really have to avoid um, a few common ones, which is like reaching back, holding the ball on the fence, and then mm -hmm. trying to go, um, you know, things like the uh, reach back, look and see where your ball is back there behind you, and then go forward. I, I see those drills a lot of times resulting in people dragging their arms through the acceleration phase of the throw and some other common things that we see from a biomechanics uh, standpoint. Um, so I think we got to kind of avoid some of those, those types of drills, the really standard types of drills. And really think critically about some of our things. One of the common drills that we see is where guys will stand with both feet facing the target. They'll turn and throw. That's actually a, a fine drill. We'll utilize that as well. But if, if we have a guy who's opening his hips up too early to the target, I'm not going to have him start with his hips open to the target. I'm going to have him start with his hips closed to the target. So mm -hmm. he has to learn what that feels like. Or if a guy's dragging his arm, I'm not going to put him in a position that's going to result in him dragging his arm um, even more, I'm going to actually have him work on bringing the ball into a better position. So a lot of times it's just kind of using common sense. If you see the drill isn't getting that athlete better, it's probably not something we should, we should be using. If, if his throw, I gave him this drill now over two weeks, it's looking worse. I need to change, uh, change my direction and stuff like that. So it's sometimes hard to say which drills are 
good drills or which drills are bad drills, because I'll find myself using drills that are quote unquote, not the best drills in the world, depending on the athlete. I don't use them as often, but I'll, I'll use all sorts of different things to work on individual athletes throws, but applying things on a, in a gross scale to all of your athletes, you got to be really careful about, about what you're applying there for them. You know, and that brings this topic up because I think I want to stick with this a little bit. Um, we're, we're talking about now identifying a particular weakness of of every player and then tailoring particular drills for that weakness and hope that those drills work. If not, you have to make some adjustments. And then there's a trial and error, I'm sure, there, as we all know, as coaches. Um, so talk about some of the weaknesses that you see, you know, in kids playing catch, um, because I think that's important. And the other part, the other, the second part to this is, you know, we always see, well, let's play catch for 15 minutes. Well, everybody's playing catch 15 minutes. Um, does, is that everybody need to necessarily warm up to play catch for 10, 15 minutes, or is that also individualized? Um, you know, because of that, maybe that player's workload isn't, shouldn't be the whole 15 minutes. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that sometimes this is where we can kind of lose it with uh, coaches who are out there listening because they're going to hear, well, I need to, everything has to be individual to the, this athlete. Everything has to be individual to this athlete. How can I manage that as a coach? Right. And, and I guess what I'm getting at here is you need to be careful about the drills that you're applying when you're working on throwing mechanics in particular at a large scale. And the reason for that is Throwing is what results in the majority of injuries, over 90% of baseball injuries. I want to say a study I recently read in high school athletes was 92% of injuries in baseball are um, throwing related injuries, non-contact injuries. And if that's the case, we need to be extra cautious, which we are starting to do, but we need to be extra cautious with um, our interventions for throwing mechanics. And a lot of times, like some of these people are out there saying, you'll find that young athletes, especially as they get strong enough to actually, um, utilize a, a regular baseball. And, um, you know, I'm talking about when they get to be six, seven, eight years old, a lot of times, if we didn't mess with them, they may be better off than if we, if we did mess with them, if we're doing the wrong things. Um, and that, and that goes as far as any athletic skill. If you're doing the wrong drills for a long period of time with a, with a hitter, eventually you're going to start seeing a worse and worse swing. The problem in throwing and pitching is that if you do the wrong things, your likelihood of injury goes way up. So as far as throwing workload and that sort of thing goes, yeah, it should be individualized. If you're telling your guys, Hey, you're going to all throw 20 throws at this distance, 20 at this distance, 20 at this distance. While that is a benefit from an organizational standpoint or a structural mm -hmm. standpoint in practice, um, it's probably doing your throwers a little bit of injustice there. Um, and I think that you're going to be better off by saying, you know, at the beginning of the season, let's talk to Johnny at the beginning of the season. Let's talk to Jimmy over here and let's talk to them about some of the things they need to do. And we're talking about kids that are middle school, high school kids. And when we get to the younger kids, a little more structured approach is probably fine. We're not going to see a ton of throwing related injuries in our seven, eight, nine, 10 year olds. Usually we're starting to see an increase in injury rates as they get into that middle school, high school age range. And that's where we need to, I think, be a little more cautious about what we do in terms of workload with these really young kids 
I think if we can give them a few things that they can work on two to three different drills and progressions. And a lot of times with those young guys, it's designed around getting them to be athletic in the throw. And, um, there's a lot of guys out there doing a lot of different things. And I, I think a lot of that stuff's really good. If we can get athletes to be more athletic, you know, here's a hop, hop drill. You're going to do two hops and then make a throw. You're going to do a pivot throw where you're going to stand here, pivot and throw. Um, you have to go from your fielding position and throw, you have to do quick hands, ball hits your glove. It's out those sorts of drills. And those sorts of interventions are actually great trainers for throwing mechanics because it's very hard to make a throw. If, say you did a crow hop or you hopped or had to jump and then throw, if your arm isn't in the right position to make the throw, it's going to be very hard to do that under those high intensity, high demand activities. And that's where I think we can really get away with applying drills at scale for athletes is, Hey, this crow hop throw, this pivot throw, this um, hop, hop throw, uh, move to your left and throw. This one's going to be, you know, just being, um, uh, a little bit creative with that, but focusing maybe a little bit less so on the position of the arm. That's something that I feel, especially in doing what I do is, is something that you have to be a little more cautious about. We've put up some videos on YouTube and I know we referenced that before where we've actually talked about positions that we will have the overwhelming majority of athletes throw from. And I know it's hard on a, uh, audio recording like this, but if you're watching on video, I want you to go on. I want you to watch um, some videos of Nolan Ryan. I want you to go on and watch um, Clayton Kershaw, Corey Kluber, any of these, you know, um, Aroldis Chapman, any of these high-level guys that have been successful for a long period of time. Um, Joe Kelly's another one. And throw hard, have been successful for a long period of time, been relatively healthy throughout their career, or even guys like Jacob deGrom who've had injuries in the past and have sustained a long period of time at high level throwing. Um, those sorts of guys are, are the guys you want to take a look at and see what they're doing in the throw. And with those guys, you'll find that the all of those guys I just listed as well as many others will bring the ball inside 90 degrees. So their ball is inside their elbow at some point early in the mm. throw, their elbow is about shoulder height through the primary acceleration phase in the throw. And if you have guys in there, I'll have them with the ball about short or the elbow about shoulder height, elbow a little bit out in front of their chest and the ball about as high as the brim of their cap. And I'll have them initiate crow hops and throws from there and just tell them to be an athlete and throw. And we found a lot of success with doing that because you're really avoiding some of the, the pitfalls that we've seen a lot of different, different drills out there. And that's the same thing that you're going to do on the mound, which is the same thing that you'll see Derek Jeter do from the infield. You have to bring the ball in close to your center of rotation and get your elbow at the right height when you make a throw and you'll see catchers do that same thing. So throwing is throwing. And I tell people when they're pitching, it's not a totally different skill. A lot of people think it's a totally different skill. It's the same skill with a few things added to it. It's still throwing a baseball. You're just throwing it on a downward slant now, and you have a little bit higher leg kick and a little bit different low to the hips than you would if you were throwing from, you know, catcher position or on the infielder with a crow hop from the outfield. These aren't totally different skills. Throwing is throwing. You know what? And folks, man, you're going to think this is scripted and you know, baseball outside the box has no scripts. Um, we basically pretty much, you know, ask, you know, we ask our, our guests, obviously, to let us know a few things that are important to talk about because we know they're the experts and we want to, you know, express what they want to tell coaches. And, and that way that, you know, we can really get into helping coaches. But, you know, Max, one of my questions was going to be this. And before I, I get to the question, I also want to mention some of the things that you said 
also gives onus on the player because, you know, you're giving players at real young ages responsibilities, right? Because you're, you're mentioning the drills. And I love that part because I don't, I think a lot of times we just tell them what to do and, and expect them to do it. And they have no idea why they're doing it. Well, they should really learn why they're doing something and what that drill pertains to. So I think you're putting a lot of uh, education on the player. And I think that's real important. So my question that's good, that is going to sound leading because you just mentioned it. If I throw really well at a young age, starting at five years old, even just playing with catch in your backyard or just throwing things, doesn't matter, you know, kids throw stuff, you know, um, if I do that correctly, you know, one of the things we need to do nowadays is have more, I've always said this, we need to have more pitchers at young ages um, because that way you reduce the number of times that, you know, kids have to throw. So if I've got better throwing mechanics, I got a better chance of being a successful pitcher. No, absolutely. And we kind of had a little bit of uh, anecdote on, on our part, which was I came to the OAI. Uh, my mentor was Ed Martell. He was a pitcher for the New York Yankees and Detroit Tigers organizations, physical therapist. I came to him as a patient when I got injured in college. And if you're on the video, you can probably see that. my scar here. Um, but I came to him after multiple injuries, uh, tore my labrum, my shoulder, um, two elbow surgeries. And that's, you know, that's when I came across Ed and that's when I came across this stuff. Well, um, one of the individuals who works with me quite a bit and works with a lot of our athletes, Carter Kowalczyk, him and his brother, both division one college baseball players, they came across to Ed when they were 10, 11 years old and never had another throwing related injury. So it was, it was really cool to, when I actually met Carter, um, when I started working with the OAI, um, to kind of see that difference there. But if you're throwing properly, what I can say is not that you're never going to get injured or that your chances of injury are zero. That's not, that's not necessarily true, but what is true is that you've decreased the likelihood that you're going to withstand, or, um, you're going to get one of these injuries and you're going to be with able to or you're going to be able to withstand more stress long-term than other athletes, but you're also going to be able to, um, because you're more efficient in your throw, you're going to be able to be potentially more accurate in your throw. You're going to be able to potentially produce more velocity than you otherwise would be able to if you had worse mechanics. So I think getting all athletes to throw better is really important because I tell athletes the same thing that's going to allow you to throw faster. is the same thing that's going to protect your shoulder and elbow in the throw, which is the same thing that if you're playing in the outfield, you're playing catcher, you're playing in the infield is going to allow you to get that ball out of your hand quicker. And we've seen that time and time again, a lot of the, the best uh, short stops are often the best pitcher on these younger level teams mm -hmm. and getting athletes to kind of experience getting on the mound. I think from a whole mental side of the game, which isn't necessarily my expertise, but from the whole mental side of the game and actually getting experience with the focus being on you and the pressure being on you and you have to perform, I think is an, is another um, great thing, but the more guys that we can get, throwing and pitching at a young age and working on their throwing at a young age is going to benefit them. Even if they decide not to pitch, I often have, like, I have a kid right now um, who works with me when he's in the area and he's going to uh, West Virginia university here soon, and he's going to play outfield in college, but he's pitching a little bit in high school with him. We're working on pitching and we've seen drastic improvements in his crow hop throws just because he's gotten more reps throwing with his arm in better places and working on loading into his hip a little bit better. And then just being overall a better athlete. Hey, what do they mean when, um, when somebody says, you know, a pitcher only has so many bullets, 
is that the workload we're talking about? Um, because, you know, or does it mean number of throws? I mean, does that make any sense when somebody says, uh, you know, hey, you only have so many bullets, save your bullets? Yeah, I mean, it's a common phrase that people use. Um, I've actually heard um, some really popular orthopedic surgeons use the term and, and as well as pitching coaches. And I do have a little bit of um, disagreement with the term. I think it's a, I think it's a great term. Like if I have a guy who's coming in and he's ready to start to get back into playing after an injury, but he's really not at the level where he should be playing all the time. I'll say, Hey, you know, you're going to go, or maybe he has to go into tryouts. I mean, you're going to go into tryouts. You're going to go into this game and you know, you throw, you can go and throw, but I, I really want you to save your arm. Use it when you really need it. You know, use your, use your arm, throw it hard when you have to, like if you have to throw it down from uh, down to second base from behind the dish, use it when you really need to don't, don't sit there and fire it down there every time between innings. If a guy's stealing, then, then let it rip a little bit. But when we talk about, you only have so many bullets, I don't know that to necessarily be true. Um, you know, <laughs> That's like people saying your, your heart only has so many ticks. Um, and it's like, well, does it, you know, if I eat a Big Mac every day and, you know, sit on my butt and watch TV, I I'm guessing that will change the number of ticks that my, that my heart has. So same way in, in throwing. Um, but I think the, I think the underlying point there with a lot of these, these guys is, Hey, you know, you don't have to be throwing it as hard as you possibly can all the time. And maybe you need a little bit more rest in between outings. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and the other part is um, you look at major league players and I want you to address this with everybody because I think it, there could be a misconception. You're, uh, you know, you're going to see some guys get injured, but you're also going to see some guys who got pretty good mechanics and unbelievable workloads. I mean, they work real hard at some of the things you're talking about. I mean, j just to mention two, Otani and DeGrom, okay, both been hurt. But you look at Otani and I, again, I'm going from what I know. That doesn't mean I'm right. I'm looking at Otani O'Gram. They look like they got pretty good mechanics. I can guarantee Otani Otani is is a hell of a worker. Okay, I have never met a Japanese player that doesn't out, outwork everybody, and even in the right areas. So address that because he, I guess this is why it's so dangerous and so important for coaches to understand at the young levels to do the right things. You're still going to have injuries, but just to show you. Even guys that work so hard are going to have injuries. So imagine the ones that don't. That's my exactly. point. Exactly. You're talking about guys that are throwing really hard. In DeGrom, you're throwing 99, 100 miles an hour. You're placing a ton of load on the shoulder and elbow. And you're talking also about a guy that's had a history of injury. And If you actually go back and watch his mechanics from when he was a rookie, you'll see that he looks very different than he does now. He's actually gotten a little bit more efficient. And you've had mm. previous injury. That's the number one risk factor for future injury. So yeah. guys that have had Tommy John um, surgery, we know that on average, they have about two and a half, three years on that um, new ligament, that, that new uh, graft in there. And there's guys that'll go the rest of their career and never get injured. There's guys that'll go less than a year and get re-injured. And a lot of that has to do with what they're doing and how they're doing it. But there's also uncontrollables. I tore my UCL. I had a partial tear in my UCL. I slipped and fell throwing out in my backyard with my dad. One day I was throwing hard, slipped, my back foot slipped. I slipped, tore my UCL. So things like that can happen all the time. And I tell my guys here, 
you know, and I, and I have a few guys that are, that are coming in, they had come in with previous injuries and now they're coming in and they're feeling really good. And they're like, well, I haven't gotten injured in two years. And they think they'll never get injured if they, if they continue this way. I'm like, listen, you've decreased your risk of injury. You're starting to do things the right way, which is why you're not sustaining the same injuries that you were before, but nobody can eliminate completely eliminate your risk of injury. You will see guys that throw with great mechanics and their arms are in the right place at the right times. They rotate at the right times and they still get injured. And a lot of times you can't control what's going on internally. Um, you're talking about so many risk factors that guys in high level of sport, Olympic athletes, professional athletes are trying to mitigate these risk factors. That means getting enough sleep, proper nutrition, managing uh, psychological stress, not going out there when they're tired or fatigued, you're talking about all sorts of variables like that, um, that were not always being considered at the younger ages. So there's a lot of things that could predispose somebody to injury, but there's also guys out there and you'll see them that throw with maybe not so great mechanics. They run or squat with not so great mechanics and still there's, they stay healthy throughout their career. Now, were they at a higher risk of injury than somebody that moved a little better? Absolutely. And I, and I know that you've had uh, crush on there, Jeff Crushell on your podcast, and he's talked about movement quality as well as many others. Um, mm -hmm. And by improving movement quality, we're, we're decreasing risk of injury, but we're not eliminating risk of injury. And I think it's something that we talk about a lot and that I talk about a lot because I see it all the time as is one of the things that's completely neglected that as well as that the corrective exercise things we talked about earlier, but you're not going to eliminate risk of injury. And you're also talking about at the high levels, guys that are putting more torque through, um, through joints and more load through tissues than you are at the, the younger levels. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot to that topic to, to kind of unpack there. You know, and I want to stress, um, you know, I want to try to really help some of the young coaches that are working with young kids. I mean, they could, you know, you can be a coach that's been in the game 30 years working with young kids and learn, and you can be a coach just starting off with young kids. I just think it's so important that we reach these coaches. Um, and so I want to address two things, Max. I want you to talk about one, you know, with these young kids, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, before high school, because once you get to high school, you've got educated people. I'm not saying everybody's great at high school, but you've got educated people there that are, you know, studying, they're listening to podcasts more, you know, you got college and professional doing more and more. Um, but I think it's important, two things. One, if you're a young coach and you've got a kid throwing, you know, he's 11 years old and he's throwing, I don't know, 72, and you've got another kid who's throwing 52, we got to be really careful with those kids. That we got to work with every kid, but we got to be really careful with the kids that are throwing harder than most kids. I would think that's one. Um, and two, we'll, let, we'll get into it. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things to look for that they're doing wrong consistently. But let's go with the first one. What about these kids that throw hard? We should really be careful with them, no? Absolutely. Um, you know, with two perspectives in mind there, if they're throwing harder, just like we talked about with these professional athletes, they're putting more torque on their joints and they're loading tissues at a higher level than the athletes who aren't throwing as hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just been shown in the research multiple times and that's just physics, right? Um, 
So we, we need to be aware of that. Um, and I, and I think it's often those kids that are most abused in terms of throwing, um, workload because they're out there and they're asked to throw all the time. And we all know that kid who was throwing harder than everybody else as a youngster throwing a ton. And now in high school, he can't pitch anymore because he's really torn up his shoulder and his elbow and he can't go out there and throw without pain. So mm -hmm. I think from the perspective of yes, they're loading tissues more. So we need to maybe give them more rest, not less, but also those are the guys that, that seem to have some potential moving forward. We need to make sure that they're not being short-sighted that they're, they're looking into the future. And I, and I think that really goes as far as all athletes. We tend to get a little short-sighted a lot of times with athletes, because we got a tournament this weekend. We got a tournament this weekend, or we got a showcase tomorrow. You're 15 years old. You're not going to graduate for another three years. How you do at this showcase really does not matter to most of these college coaches, if any of these college coaches. And if you're going to be worried about that, you're maybe putting yourself at, um, um, exposing your elbow or shoulder, which maybe isn't ready to throw at this point. So we need to not be short-sighted. We can't look at what's right in front of our nose. We sometimes need to look what's out there in the periphery and kind of have a perspective on long-term development, um, which is a great topic. That's what we, you know, have talked about a lot, but if your focus is on long-term development and actually getting to the next level, I think, uh, I think the goal is a little bit different. If you're you know, nine, 10, 11 years old, seven years old, that game tomorrow does not mean a whole lot. You're not going to remember whether you played in that tournament or played in that game in a year or two anyways. So um, let's do things that are going to allow us to have longer careers and be healthier for a longer period of time rather than um, being short-sighted and just looking at, you know, what's right in front of our face in terms of, okay, I got a game this weekend. And the analogy I use a lot of times um, with athletes and with parents is if you look at, if you have a pet dog, the dog only cares about um, gratification in the now. He doesn't have any perspective really for the future. So if he's injured, but you're throwing the ball, he'll keep going. And then he'll be so injured tomorrow um, where that leg will hurt so much tomorrow that he won't be able to run for the ball at all, but he'll still try. And then over the course of time, maybe he can't do that anymore at all. We don't want to be like that. Um, with our throwing athletes, we want to be able to have foresight and look out in the future and say, Hey, you know, take that extra day off. Now it's not going to make any difference, um, in terms of whether you're going to get recruited, whether you're going to be able to play at the next level, but it is going to potentially make a difference on how healthy you are in the upcoming weeks, months, and maybe for the rest of your career. Yeah. And that makes so much sense because, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up. So parents listening, you know, take that weekend off, you know, just tell them no, no baseball, do whatever you want, have some fun, do something else, enjoy, enjoy the day, go out with your buddies, you know, at the park or whatever you do, but, you know, just let them have some fun once in a while on weekends. It's not all about tournaments and games all the time. You know, Max, what about a, a coach? You know, I don't have a lot of time, you know, I'm trying to do my best. I'm working with throwers and pitchers, um, you know, common sense things like, you know, direction that the person's throwing, are they going in that direction or are they pitching? Are they going in that direction or do they throw the ball and go in the opposite direction? I mean, talk about just a few things maybe coaches can look for, kind of help them overall understand that that player is maybe not throwing incorrectly. I get it. Sometimes the ball might go 
to the left side because your body goes that way. But I've seen the ball go straight and the body go left side also because, the, you know, players athletically can can control that better. So talk about some of the things maybe coaches can look for. Yeah, so I always recommend with everybody's got their cell phone on them right now. Um, you can always take a slow motion video of a kid if you need to. Things that you can see with your real eye are I'm going to stand right behind a kid. I'm going to watch him throw. As a coach, I can stand right behind him as he's throwing to his target, and I can see where that step is. We've done research, um, and we've looked at step direction in guys, and we're generally looking at if you drew a straight line from the middle of the back foot straight to the target, you have about three inches on either side of that line where you're kind of in that safe zone if we're talking about pitching or that sort of thing. If you're outside of that three inches, either across your body or open, you know, stepping in the bucket in that direction, you're putting yourself at increased risk for injury. And I'm going to work on that. And I'm not going to say, Hey, make sure you're stepping straight. I may put a lid of a bucket on the ground where their foot was, and they have to actually realign and step a little bit straighter. So if they're stepping across their body, I'm going to put that bucket top or a base or a plate or whatever it is on the ground there. And they actually have to alter their step to actually step a little bit more open. If they're stepping open, I may do the opposite and put it outside um, in a more open direction, make them step a little bit straighter. So I'm going to do things like that to improve, you know, some stride direction, but ultimately I need to look at the stride direction. I need to look at um, the height of the elbow. So when they start to go forward, we call it the, early cocking phase or pre-cocking phase of the throw, which is where they start to actually, if you're watching on video, see, but if you're not, it's like right before you start to accelerate the arm, once you've lifted the ball, if your elbow is really too far below the shoulder, too high above, you're not in a great position. So you're looking for that elbow to be on plane with the shoulders. And what I mean is if you drew a line from the glove side shoulder through the throwing side shoulder and continued that line out, the elbow should be approximately on that line. Um, a little tiny bit below is okay. A little bit above is okay, but that's just a normative range there. The other thing I'm looking for in my throwers is that they're not too side bent at release point. Um, and these are just some really simple things that you can pick up with the naked eye, but you can also take video. This is another one I'd take from behind where, Hey, how bent are they to that glove side? Are they leaning all the way to the glove side? And really, if we were to be specific, we'd say, Hey, we want them, you know, 15, 20 degrees on average. Um, but if we see a guy who's completely side, side bent over, you know, that's going to, that's going to be something we want to work on. And those are guys that you're going to pick out immediately um, as, Hey, there's something not right in that throw. Let me watch it a little bit. A lot of the things that we're seeing incorrectly in the throw, throwing coaches and pitching coaches can watch their throw and say that something's wrong there. It's not, it doesn't look quite right. Coaches are really good at that. I think where coaches could be a little bit better from my perspective as a biomechanist, looking at the throw um, a little bit more specifically is identifying what exactly it is before just saying, Hey, you need to load your back leg a little bit more, yeah. or you need to make sure your stride straight. We need to look at um, things a little bit more, but I think coaches in general, are pretty good at saying that throw doesn't look right or that throw does look right. So elbow height, I think is important. And the big one that I see a lot more people doing today than I did two years ago is making sure athletes bring the ball in a little bit more towards their head. Um, so from a physics standpoint, if we have any engineers out there uh, or physicists, you're decreasing the moment of inertia of your entire body. You're putting the elbow in a more stable position. As the ball gets further out and away at that early uh, cocking phase, 
the more likely you are to drag your arm through. And if you go and watch in slow motion, any of those guys I mentioned earlier, any of these uh, really high level throwers, as well as a lot of the catchers, position players, you know, anybody out there that's thrown in the major leagues, watch some slow motion videos from um, their open side. And what you'll see is that they bring the ball in a little bit more towards their head. So um, inside 90 degrees is what I tell guys at that early phase is if the ball is inside 90 degrees or inside the elbow, more towards the head, uh, elbow about shoulder height. And then, like I said, looking at the stride, those are probably the four most common things that I think coaches can easily pick up on and, and look at. And if they need to use that camera on their iPhone, everybody's carrying it around with them now. So go ahead and just pull it out for a video and slow it down and watch and see if they bring the ball in. And the more you study these elite level throwers and watch these elite level throwers, the better idea you'll have. Um, I think the other thing that, that um, coaches can easily pick up on is bringing the ball back behind the athlete. So a lot of people have called it hooking or these different things, but the farther the ball, say if you're a right-handed pitcher, the farther that ball goes back towards first base behind the body, um, that may be another risk factor for injury that we can easily pick up on and modify by just getting the athlete to start with the ball further out in front of their body towards third base for that right-handed pitcher. And coaches, if you're listening, man, um, great points. And, and Max, I think two things you said, I think are critical because I know I fell in this category, still do. Um, one, and that is, you know, we tend to look at something and think that the body's doing something, but we don't realize our eyes aren't good enough to pick that up and identify that. You know, I've had coaches where they, you know, in five seconds said, oh, you got to do this different. Well, you know, hang on a second. Before, like you said, before you start telling players to change something, go, go to what you just said. Go to the video. Make sure that's what they're doing incorrectly. I think that's a critical point you brought up. And the second part to that, I think this is why coaching is so difficult. One is identifying, you know, what the issue is. And two is now figuring out what the drills are to correct that issue because everybody's different. That's going to take a different time period. And doesn't it, isn't it important that the player understands that because the player is going to have to spend time making that change. It's not just the coach doing that, right? Yeah, absolutely. It takes responsibility um, from, you know, athletes have to have it, you know, it takes responsibility away from the coach a little bit. And a lot of times the parents like, Hey, this is on you. You want to, you want to play high school baseball. Um, you want to make your high school team. You want to play college baseball. This is your, these are your things that you have to be in charge of. And we're here to, to help and we're here to guide you. And, you know, for the coaches, I think don't try to do too much is the biggest, uh, the biggest thing. And, and that goes as far as somebody that does what I do and, and knows what I know. It's like, I don't try to do too much with these guys. You can't try to do too much um, in terms of changing things, altering things. It's like identify the kids that are at risk um, or the kids that maybe needs more work than others and make it small, small tweaks, you know, one bite at a time. Eventually, you know, you'll eat the elephant um, to go back to that phrase. But I think it's make small changes. Don't try to do too much. Don't try to go beyond, um, your knowledge there, you'll be a very successful coach. If you're working on throwing mechanics and you just try to improve one little thing, if that, if that kid gets 2% better, you've done your job. And if he gets 25% better, that's just, um, you know, a huge cherry on the top there. So, um, 
I think a lot of times we can, we can kind of eliminate some of the things we're doing and, and look at some of the things we're doing with guys and say, you know, this isn't really getting the result that I wanted to sitting on the bucket and saying, you need to step more to the left, or you need to uh, do this with your leg lift or just sitting there and watching guys and telling them what to do is, is proven to be an ineffective strategy um, for changing mechanics for the overwhelming majority of guys. Now it might help here and there to say, Hey, I want you to do a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but really things like what you're doing, Pete, and what we talked about before, where we're actually having kids be athletes and go out there and make throws from positions and, you know, do a crow hop throw and do fast hands and do these things are going to do more to improve their mechanics long-term than a lot of the drills that have historically been prescribed to athletes um, to work on. So you know, I, I tell you about how to analyze the throw and it makes me think a little bit, maybe I should put out a YouTube video on here are the things that I would use with young athletes. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I haven't done that. I've done a lot of things. Uh, here's some specific things for this specific fault or whatever like that. But I, I now that we're talking, I'm like, Hey, I got to get out there. I put a, put together a video of the, here are the four things that I would give to all of my youth athletes, um, to work on and throwing. But I think a lot of times it's, Hey, you see that they're bringing the ball way too far back towards first base as a right-handed pitcher. They're bringing the ball behind them or hooking it, put them in the, put them in a better position where they that's hard for them to do, you know, put the ball out in front of their body or have them start with the ball already up in a good position and have them do some throws um, from there. So it's, it's not about making these huge changes in young kids, but it's a lot of times just giving, taking away things that are going to make them more robotic in the throw and allow them to be better athletes and, and put in changing one or two things here or there, putting that thing there. So they don't step across their body is a lot of times a, a really effective thing. And if you give athletes enough repetitions and they spend enough time practicing, which you always have to reinforce over the course of time, them making that change in their mechanics there is likely to make other positive changes elsewhere in their, in their mechanical sequence. So it's, it's sometimes about, Hey, we got to get this kid stronger. We got to get them more flexible, which is something I see overlooked. A lot of times these young kids, um, they're growing a lot. They get really tight hamstrings. They can't even get in a proper fielding position and they can't get their chest forward in the throw because their hamstrings are too tight. And we're worried about these intricate little things. So I think the I think one of the takeaways here is don't try to do too much um, with, with the throwing mechanics. And, and I think even though I'm not a uh, expert in batting or swinging, I think that goes as far as um, swinging or batting. It's like make a small change, give them a small, um, a small piece of information or drill to work on and um, see how well they're able to kind of integrate that. Absolutely. Max, man, this has been fantastic. we got about eight more minutes. All right. Um, and I want to bring this up because this can be a whole show in itself. We don't have to stay with it. But, you know, my one of my, you know, I, I remember, you know, everybody wants to throw hard, obviously. And you, you just you talked about many things that you can do. If you do these things correctly, eventually you will throw harder. Um, that all that makes sense. What I'm concerned with is somebody just wants to pick up, you know, a heavy ball and start throwing heavy balls at a young age because I just think the body's not ready for it. And I know it's a whole show we could talk about this, but I do want you to address, you know, young people that are not ready to use heavy ball in a, or a heavy ball program, which has been around at least now for about 20 years. Um, but, you know, because I feel that can be an issue that's creating some injuries if you're starting a kid at eight, nine, 10 years old and their body's not ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about weighted balls and, and I think we, 
should be able to group together like the heavier balls, the overweight balls and the underweight balls in some instances and not others. Um, young athletes, I want everybody to go out and watch um, a younger girl throw a softball or a younger um, kid throw a baseball. And when their body isn't very strong, they're not structurally um, ready for even the regulation weight ball. And we, we throw it in their hands. We'll see some alterations in how they move. And then if we give them a wiffle ball, we'll see them throw a little bit differently. And that should give you some perspective on how mechanics will change mm. with the weighted implement and whether an athlete's ready for, for that ball. I think a lot of times in softball players, cause I do see them for the overhead throwing aspect. A lot of times I'll see inefficiencies in their throw that are a result of them using a ball that's heavier um, when they're not really ready for that weight of a ball. And we'll see the same thing older. So a lot of times these kids going into these weighted ball um, throwing programs, especially these high intensity weighted ball programs, they've never been screened. Nobody's ever looked at an orthopedic evaluation where you've looked at how much shoulder mobility do you have inside the socket? What's your range of motion of the shoulder? What's your hamstring flexibility look like? And nobody's ever screened the throwing mechanics. And so now you're talking about, uh, dysfunction potentially they have a weak rotator cuff um, they have you know poor internal rotation of their shoulder poor range of motion in their shoulder and poor hamstring flexibility and their mechanics really aren't that efficient and now we're throwing additional load in their hand wow. and they're going out there and they're compensating to a greater extent and we know that through a lot of the research that throwing heavier implements is something that's led to decreased rotator cuff strength and decreased shoulder internal rotation. And now you've already taken someone that maybe had those deficits to begin with. You've thrown these balls in their hand and now they're going out there and throwing at a high intensity all the time with these balls and you're furthering their dysfunction. So you're, you're layering dysfunction on top of dysfunction and you've never addressed some of the things that were the lowest hanging fruit, if you will, in terms of how they move, in terms of strength. And we've seen the studies that young kids, if we put them through an arm care regimen for eight, 12 weeks, they increase their throwing velocity. They get better throwing mechanics if you do certain things well. And we've seen these studies where people work on their throwing mechanics. They work on um, just getting kids on a structured regimen. Sometimes that all is just get them on a, a program where they're actually doing something in a structured manner and their velocity goes up as well as, okay, can we get their hamstring flexibility better? Can we get them to rotate a little better and do these other things a little better, get their shoulder a little stronger and their speed goes up and their, the ability, their ability to tolerate more throwing goes up. But instead we went for a quick fix. And that's a lot of times what it is, this quick fix mentality where we threw these weighted balls um, in their hands, or, or we, we gave them um, the opportunity to throw these heavier light balls at a high intensity and their bodies just aren't ready for it. And we've seen different research coming out with um, injury rates and different things um, in these sort of athletes. But in the end, I think it is people looking for that quick fix, you know, just same thing we see in medicine all the time. Give me the painkiller. Give me the painkiller. Mm -hmm. um, give me the surgery. I hear that one a lot. I, I'd rather just have surgery. We just had a pro guy in recently. It's, you know, I, I've been dealing with this for a while. I just want to get it operated on. Doctors tell me there's not a lot of structural damage here. I want them to go through PTs. Like, no, nah, it's just, you know, I, I'd rather just get it fixed, get it fixed. Wow. And it's like the same thing with these, uh, all these different 
programs out there that are just designed to be the quick fix. If you see something that's guaranteeing you four miles an hour, or we guarantee seven miles an hour, I would be very cautious with any of those things. And anything that's, you know, designed to increase power or speed before they work on um, some of the movement quality uh, aspects, which is how well do you move before they start to work on speed and power, we got to work on how well do you move? You know, do you have adequate hamstring flexibility? Do you have proper shoulder rotation? Do your mechanics look the way that they should look? Um, and do you have these requisites before we put the weighted balls in your hands? And that's before we even talk about, uh, growth pleats being open in these young guys and, all these other sorts of things and just the physics of throwing weighted implements um, or throwing at a high intensity and a big arc or any of these other things before we even talk about, you know, growth plates being open structures are maybe not as strong as they potentially can be. Um, that's just talking about, have you even been screened? Did you look at things that you could easily improve with a little bit of consistency and focus before you just went for that quick fix? But, you know, we could talk about, this forever, like you said, but I think a lot of times that's a, that's a big thing that's overlooked. And then in addition to that, it's just, Hey, uh, you know, we got young kids that are, that are jumping into these programs. Growth plates are still open. They're not skeletally, skeletally mature. They don't need two miles per hour tomorrow. What they need is to be able to be focused on improving some different things over the course of their career. So that when they, they get to that you know, college age where they want to get their, you know, when they want to get a professional contract or whatever, they've, they've maintained a, um, a pretty clear injury history and they've done everything they can in terms of strength and conditioning, arm care routines and that. And we're leaving a lot on the table and we're jumping towards that quick fix, I think is the key takeaway there. Yeah, Max, I think we need to go back. And I think a lot of coaches will agree, you know, uh, especially in pitching about location, you know, if you can hit so many different spots. Come on. If you're 11 years old and you can hit five, six different locations, you're going to get guys out naturally because they can't hit all those spots when you're a hitter at that age. We've all seen it. You and I have seen it again. That could be a whole topic on that. Um, but I hope people will focus on the movement more. You know, the area when I was young, if I was sore or hurt, you know, a lot of times they say, I just throw through it. Everything will get well. You know, um, if I'm a coach, player, parent, how do I know? the difference between soreness or an injury, um, when to stop, what to do, you know, I know we can need to consult the physician eventually, but what do we do? How do we know the difference between soreness and actually being hurt? Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, this is a, this is a topic that once again, I think is really important. Um, especially for those kids that have never really pitched a lot or, or never had any sort of arm soreness. I think something that we all should do as throwing athletes is find somebody in your area that you can go to that understands throwing and has some knowledge on how the body works and how the body moves. And a lot of times that's an orthopedic physical therapist. There's a lot of good chiropractors out there. Um, there's a lot of good strength and conditioning coaches out there that do this as well. But I think you need to find someone that really possesses knowledge on the mechanics of the throw mechanics of the swing knows something about baseball and then has uh, some in-depth knowledge on movement. And I think once a year you go and you get a screen and you look at, okay, what can I work on? A lot of times, like I saw a kid a year ago and 
things look pretty well. I gave him some exercises to continue over the course of the year. And then I see him again this year, he's grown four inches and now he he's reaching down to his knees when he goes to touch his toes and he's not able to get hamstring flexibility. He doesn't have good uh, postural controls. So and then we work on something a little different. So I think once a year you go and you get looked at just as a prophylactic or um, proactive type of uh thought process there of like, let's get things looked at. Let's see what we can work on. And I think that really goes beyond athletes too, but that's a whole nother discussion. Mm -hmm. So I think once you do that, I think in terms of arm pain, discomfort, soreness, you need to look at a few things. Is it something that is getting worse over time? Is it taking me longer to recover between outings or between games or between practices? If it's taking longer, that tells you that you're overdoing it and you need more rest. Is the pain at the joint line? I think that's a really easy one for people to look at. Is it at the elbow, right at about the elbow? Is it in the middle of the forearm? Is it in the middle of the biceps? Is it right at the mm. shoulder? Those sorts of things. If it's at the joint line, that's a sign that we need more rest. We need to shut it down and we might want to get that looked at. Anything that's sharp um, pain, that's achy pain that stays with me for a period of time, shooting pain, numbness, tingling, those are all red flags for us that you need to get looked at either by um, an orthopedic physical therapist, orthopedic surgeon. Those are things that you want to get taken care of as soon as possible. Sometimes that, you know, little sharp pain that you feel once out of every five throws in your elbow, right at the, right at the bone there is actually a physeal injury or growth plate injury that maybe is separated a little bit, but not separated a lot. You continue to throw the way that you're throwing and continue to add stress the way that you're adding stress. And that could be a pretty big separation that the doctor may end up having to go and put a pin in. So if you're getting pain at the joint line, get it checked out. If it's soreness, um, achiness, that's continuing to persist longer than what normal muscle soreness would be from a workout, say, Hey, I threw you know, five days ago and it's still sore, that's abnormal. That's something I want to get checked out and I want to shut it down for the time being. And then I think if you're looking at sharp pain, um, shooting pain, tingling, numbness, those are all things that uh, are kind of red flags from a, for us from a medical standpoint um, to get looked at. But really look at your recovery. See if you're recovering as well. If it's taking longer to recover, that's something that that's not quite normal. You're probably overdoing it a little bit. Give yourself a little time off. If it's still not feeling quite right, go get it checked out. Max, finally, and uh, this has been fantastic. And let me tell you, we can do 340 shows because there's so much great information. Um, and there's so many more questions I want to ask. But um, let's end it with this. We've all, we've all had this situation happen. You go to practice with young kids. We've either seen it or it's happened to us when we were younger. Um, kids show up early, maybe even some moms and dads are there, and all of a sudden, boom, they start throwing. No warm-up at all. Um, I want you to talk about how important it is to warm up and maybe some basic stuff to do um, so that way before a parent starts playing catch with a kid, you know, that they make sure that their body's ready for it. I, and I get it that if they're only throwing, you know, 20 feet away real easy that may not be an issue but if they start gunning the ball hard without getting warmed up that could be a problem yeah so the throw is a as i like to call it a fine motor skill that has a ballistic capacity to it and has um 
some gross motor characteristics. What I mean by that is your whole body is involved in it. Your, your whole body moves and it moves explosively. It's a ballistic event. You have to explode in the throw, but you also have to have some fine motor control to be able to uh, pinpoint your target, throw it right where you want to throw it. So with that in mind, in the full body involved in the throw, you have to have a full body warm up. Guys going out there and throwing before they're warmed up, we know is a big risk factor for injury. And guys throwing too little before they get to that high uh, intensity throwing is also a risk factor for injury. We've seen studies where guys don't tolerate as many pitches or we look at, we actually do some blood draws on them and we see markers of muscle breakdown sooner than they did if they had more of a warm up. So um, guys that warm up a little bit better can actually last longer in games, interestingly enough, even though they've done more and they've allowed their tissues to get blood in them. They've warmed up the nervous system. They've warmed up certain muscles. Maybe they've refined their skill a little bit. So it's very important um, from an injury standpoint and from a performance standpoint, but also from an endurance standpoint, which I think is really overlooked. So proper warm-up you know, what I, what I have guys do is think about general to specific. The initial part of the warmup has to be very general. You're just getting your blood flowing a little bit. You're out there um, doing some movement, getting things moving a little bit, a little bit of jog. Um, you'll see guys in the bullpen on TV doing some airdyne biking with the arms and the legs. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we're indoors, we'll do uh, arm bike. We have arm bike in the facilities. We'll do that sometimes. And then we progress it to some more dynamic things. We'll do marching forward, backwards, and sideways. We're always trying to incorporate movements in all directions, not just high knees forward and back, but high knees sideways and then high knees backwards. And then we'll add um, some more uh, skipping and we'll add these general warmups. And then we'll start to add some more specific stuff. We'll actually have some lateral bounds where people are being a little more explosive. Now we'll have um, some hamstring warmups where they're doing hamstring scoops, um, kicky soldiers, uh, that sort of thing. And then we'll start to add some more throwing specific stuff where we call them like pitcher push-offs or pitcher leaps where they're actually going through, like they're going to pitch, but then they add a little bit more plyometric push there. We'll, we'll have them do arm circles and that sort of thing. And we'll progress that towards, um, some more throwing specific style shoulder, uh, dynamic activities, um, some core strength stuff, um, shoulder stability stuff. And really it should take about, I tell people 10 minutes, if you're being kind of lackadaisical through your warm up, it's going to be closer to the 15 mark. And if you're mm. really quick, it may only be five minutes, but I think that five minutes, uh, is, is well spent because you're going to get those performance benefits. You're going to decrease, um, risk of these, uh, strains and sprains that we often see. And then you're also going to have more of that endurance benefit, um, throughout the course of the day. And I think warm up is something that if you've been sitting on the bench, you better be doing something between innings. If you're going to be ready to go out there on the field, if you're sitting on your butt, you're, you know, you're not going to be ready to get out there and, and swing and pinch hit and, or throw out of the bullpen. So I think, you know, you keep yourself ready, but those are some things that we do. And then we'll always move into more specific stuff to what we want to do out there on the field. And part of the warm up is the throwing. The throwing is part of the warm up, just like the fielding is part of the warm up. And you want to um, gain as many reps as you can in that structured environment, work on the skills that you've been working on. Um, I think that's the biggest, uh, 
I think that's the biggest thing there for the warmup is it's a time for you to actually refine your skills a little bit before you go out there and compete and actually get better at a skill. We call that retrieval. Same way if you're working, you know, on something in, um, anatomy class, or if you're in high school and you're working on uh, your geography or whatever, and you're learning cities and states and that you work on retrieval and you work on pulling that information from your memory. Well, skills work the same way. We want to work on retrieving those skills and operating with those um, movements the way we want to operate in the game. So if I've been working on my throwing mechanics in a certain way, I'll go out there after I've done a dynamic warm-up where I've done some of these different stretching procedures and I'll go out there and work on those throws in that way, 10, 15, 20 reps before I really get into any of the more intense throwing. And we've seen a lot of stuff with, um, without being too long-winded here, uh, Pete, uh, we've seen some stuff on static stretching versus dynamic stretching. Mm-hmm. We don't do as much of the static holds where you're, hey, hold and count. Um, We've seen that that stuff may not be as great before, but if I see somebody that's really deficient in a certain area of flexibility, you better believe I'm going to do a little bit of that for that muscle in the warm-up. Um, and I've brought up hamstring flexibility 10 times on this podcast, but the reason is because I see so many kids who can't even reach down and touch their toes. Um, and that may be hamstring flexibility for Johnny, for for Jimmy, and maybe he has, he should do a little bit of a calf stretch or whatever it is before, but we don't do a ton of those static holds, but when we do a static hold 20 seconds, 10 seconds, probably is inadequate. Um, probably going to want to hold that for 30 seconds to a minute prior to competition. But then once again, once you're done with that static stretch, it's get into some of the dynamic stuff where you're moving around. That's really the most effective, um, type of movement. If you want to move in the game, you better move in your warm up. I, I think that's our key takeaway there. You know what? And I'm thrilled that you brought up the static part because, you know, sometimes even myself, I thought, well, forget static at all. Don't even do it. But you brought up a great point. You know, I mean, what a lot of kids are not flexible. They need more flexibility. So you might as well spend a little time on that and then get into the dynamic. Love it. Love it. Love it, Max. That was fantastic. A great way to end the show. We kind of went backwards. Uh, I did the warm ups at the end. <laughs> um, but, but at least we got them in, right? And folks, warm ups, warm ups at the beginning. We all know that. But you know, on this show, we like to do things sometimes backwards, but it, and it works out sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. But Max, it's been fantastic, man. This has been a great show. Took you a little over the time, but I appreciate your time. Hey, thank you so much. This has been phenomenal. Guys that are listening, make sure that you're subscribing to Pete on all of his platforms. Uh, He puts out some great stuff. I've been a fan for a while. So this is really an honor for me to be on the podcast. And it is baseball outside the box. So doing things in a little different order is uh, great. But static stretching after to improve your flexibility, dynamic stretching before to get ready for the game, and uh, uh, warm-ups in the beginning, right on. So this is awesome, Pete. Thank you very much. Love it. Thank you, Max. And remember, folks, Max Wardell. I'm Pete Caliendo, your host. Don't forget, go to BaseballOutsideTheBox.com. Subscribe. Thanks, everybody, for joining us in the U.S. and around the world. want to wish you all the best. Hope you're all playing baseball out there somewhere in the world. Hopefully, we'll be able to see you. I will be in Italy in about a week at the European Championships, checking out the senior national teams competing. You've got all the countries, the best countries in Europe, competing for the European Championship will be a lot of fun. Looking forward to seeing a lot of my friends uh, in Europe and getting together and just talking baseball with them. All right, folks, again, stay healthy, stay safe. Have a great time playing the game. See you on the next show. 
This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at lineupmedia.fm.